Amen. Hey, just real quick, living free. If you want to know what living free looks like, you look at these students' worship. And students, look right at me real quick. Because the way you guys worship, like, encourages me to go after it even more in worship. It gives me permission to go. I look over and I peek over at you guys. And, like, I want to worship Jesus like you guys. So thank you for inspiring me. And you guys inspire this church. We're in a new series called Living Free, walking through the book of Galatians. And and what we decided to do for this series is to actually read the full chapters of Galatians. Last week we started with Galatians 1, and this week we're going to read Galatians 2. So I want to invite Aaron up, our creative pastor, and he's going to read through Galatians 2, and I'm going to preach on a piece of it. This is Galatians chapter 2. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure I wasn't running or had not run in vain, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with a gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with a gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to be circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came up to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives 
in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Church, aren't you glad to be part of a body that loves the word of God? Let's give God glory together. Well, happy Father's Day. We're gonna talk about circumcision today. Y'all ready for this? No, just, we're actually not. Uh, I'm gonna skip all that part. But hey, happy uh, Father's Day. I do have a dad joke for you. Um, uh, the, the three jokes I wanted to tell you, everybody I've told them to this morning said, Ryan, don't say them on stage, so I'm not. Um, but I'm gonna tell you my fourth best one. You ready? And, and you have to laugh. If you don't laugh, I'll just tell you more and then I'll get in trouble and I'll seek your approval and it won't be good. All right, so here we go. You ready? What do you call an alligator that wears a vest? Don't say it out loud if you know it, then it just ruins the whole fun. An investigator. <laughs> All right, I gotta tell another one. No, I'm just kidding, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> man, happy Father's Day. Uh, behind the scenes as pastors, what we t- uh, when we talk about Father's Day, um, we, we, we kind of compare Father's Day to Mother's Day. Mother's Day is one of our top attending Sundays of the year, and typically Father's Day's not. Um, because fathers, you want to maybe sleep in, play golf, or go to brunch. But man, look at all the dads in the room today. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we are wrong. And just some encouragement for you, dads, like being here on Father's Day is important. You are leaving a legacy. You are creating a moment for you and your family. And it's really important to to lead out in that way. I, I know you could be doing other things and investing in other ways, but being here, showing that this is the center of your life and on your day, when maybe you could do anything you want, you're choosing to be here. So I am quite thankful for you and your leadership of your your family. Uh, those of you guys who maybe don't have a father and a father to look up to, man, uh, God is our father. And although I had a father for many years and he was a great dad to me, what really sustained me through all of my life is knowing Jesus as my father and knowing that Jesus would never leave me, he would never forsake me, he would never let me down. And so for those who are struggling that maybe don't have a great relationship with your father, um, I am offering you a relationship with God who will be the best father uh, that, that you will ever, that you can ever. Uh, imagine. I, I want to start off with a question that I was asked when I was 13 um, at a fellowship of Christian athletes gathering in my middle school. And it's a question that, that kind of wrecked me and a, and a question that stuck with me and a, and a question that really transformed me and the way I view God and God's love for me. The question was something like this. Who does God love more? Does God love a, a missionary who's um, maybe in North Africa, uh, reaching out to unreached people groups. Does, does God love her or him more than, than maybe, maybe you or I who's, uh, maybe we're in, we're out, we're halfway in, we, we come to church, we do our thing, we're, we're good people, but, but we're, not, we're not a missionary. Or, 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 or does he love an addict, an addict in downtown Atlanta that just can't get his life right? Who, who does God love more, the missionary, the you, or the addict? And in my eighth grade self, I was like, the missionary. I mean, the missionary. God, God has to love the missionary. But the communicator told me, no, 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 no. He doesn't love anybody more. He loves all of us the same. And in that moment, this, this message, it wrecked me. Because at 13, I, I knew I would never be a missionary. At 13, I know I was living this life that was making bad decision after bad decision. 
And if my worth to God and if my love to God meant that I had to accomplish certain things, I knew I would always fail. I mean, many of you in this room, right, we, we remember the moment that we gave our life to Jesus. We had a, a, a man uh, get baptized in first service today. You remember that, that, that feeling. You're on the mountaintop. Like, everything's going right for you. But, but then 20 years later or 10 years later, you, you find yourself maybe kind of in this space of going, man, I don't feel as close to Jesus anymore. And I think Jesus and God just put up with me. During that moment of salvation, during that baptism, Jesus was there all in, like we were family. But, but as life got worse and my decisions maybe got worse, uh, Jesus just kind of puts up with me. And we see it in our life that, that most things in life are performance-based. Any athletes in the room, like the, the, the better you do on the court or on the field, the more time you play. The better you are at work, the, the more promotions you get. And most things in life is based on this performance. And many times in our lives, in our lives even with Jesus, that, that we take our life, we take our marriage, we take our work, we take everything that we have, and we place those same expectations on God. And I think this concept today that Paul unravels uh, in Galatians chapter 2 will radically change your perspective on God's love for you. Because it has for me. And if you, we really, if I, if you, if we really want to live in freedom, we, we have to trust that what Paul is saying uh, can be obtainable for us. Because to be honest, the last four years of, of my life, it, it's wrecked me. I mean, yes, COVID in the last two and a half years has been wild. But in the last four years, I, I've lost a mom, a dad, a grandparent. I've lost siblings in the heat of all these deaths. And I'm looking around and going, can I really get to a place of feeling free? But as I'm reading through Galatians 2 this week, like God is beginning to kind of transform and renew my heart and my mind into a place of me actually believing I can live and stay in a place of freedom. So I don't know where your life is. I don't know how last night was, last week, or last year. But but the offer today is that God, through Jesus, can begin to rewrite your story in such a way that you and I live out in freedom every day. Are you in? Let's pray. Jesus, I, I thank you so much for this time, for this place, for these people. I pray, Jesus, that man, you will translate every word that I preach into the hearts of everyone in this room and online. I pray, Jesus, that we can draw closer to you uh, through our time together. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. Galatians, uh, Paul wrote this book to the Christians of Galatia, modern-day Turkey, uh, Paul, Paul knew a thing or two about kind of performance-based work. Uh, Paul was the head of his family. Paul was like the protege kid. Paul was the smartest guy in the room. And, and as he began to perform, he was elevated in uh, different ways of leadership. And, and Paul battled so much with his ego, with his pride, that Paul ended up, be, ended up becoming a murderer. Saul, before he was named Paul, became a murderer thinking that his life was better than everyone else's life. Um, This is a bad dude, and this is the guy that's writing the letter. Um, Spoiler alert, Jesus gets hold of Saul, Paul, and makes him into a new man and a new woman. So if anyone in this room is going like, dude, dude, you don't know my past. You don't know my life. You don't know my mistakes. This idea of living in freedom is not going to happen for me. Like, I don't think you're as bad as Saul as Paul. And Jesus did something spectacular in and through him. And so in Galatians chapter 
2, verses 15, it says this. It says, we ourselves are Jews, Paul is writing this, by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Hey, students, kids in this room, have you ever had a conversation with your dad or mom and they said things 17 times in a row and you're like, dude, I get it. I mean, this is what Paul is saying here. He's going, hey, look, to be justified, it's not by works. It's not by what you do. Hey, 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 it's not by works. It's not by what you do. Like, hey, to be justified, to fully live in a relationship with Jesus, guess what? It's not by works. I mean, Paul repeats it three times in these first couple of verses, and he's telling us, he's telling me that you and I, that we're justified by Christ's death alone. Now, justification means to, to declare righteous. Uh, the, the opposite is, is to be found guilty, to be guilty as Charged. Uh, Jesus, um, through his death on the cross, he, he, he justified us in such a way that he declared us righteous. Now, I don't know uh, how you are as a driver, but if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket or done something illegal and you show up in court, you either stand before the judge and you plead your innocence, maybe you plead how guilty you are, or, or maybe you ask them to throw out the whole charge because it wasn't valid. What Jesus actually does, he doesn't just throw away the charge. He doesn't just acquit us. What he does is he pays the penalty for, for our wrongdoing. And this is massively important. It's not like we've made a mistake and Jesus is like, oh, let's just throw that one underneath the rug. What Jesus did for our mistake, for our sin, for our behavior, for, for, for our alienation from God, what Jesus says is I'm going to step into the courtroom, I'm going to take the verdict of death, and I'm going to die for you. And this is, this is really, really important. This is the idea of justification. This is a churchy word. This is a Christian word. And this is a word that we should cling on to. Because what Paul is saying is, hey, there's nothing you can do to be justified. You can't read the Bible enough, you can't pray enough, you can't come to church enough, you can't be a missionary enough. Uh, you're only justified through Jesus' death on the cross. He tells us, he goes, man, you can't do it. There, there's nothing you can do to get to that place. And, and Jesus, he, he paid for our debt, he didn't just cancel it. In verse 17 Paul says this, Paul says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, like, okay, Ryan, I get it. I want to be justified with Christ. I want to cling to him. I want him to, be, I want him to pay for all of my wrongdoing and all of my sin. But we too found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. See, you and I were justified, but you and I, we will always be sinners. You and I were justified. We're made right with God. We're, 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 fi we're found innocent, but you and I, we will always be sinners. So Paul is going, hey, hey look, like if we're justified and we, we, we cling to that, but we sin tonight or tomorrow, is Jesus then just a fake, a fraud, and a sinner? And Paul goes, no, certainly not. And Paul, Paul understood this concept because before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul, and Saul was an incredibly bad dude. And Saul knew that, that his experience was way different than any of our experiences, where Saul was on the road to go murder some more people, and Jesus collided with his life. Jesus stepped down in from heaven, and Jesus saved Paul. Jesus saved Saul. 
It was this wild moment that Saul began to turn his life to follow Jesus. And Saul was going like, whoa, how, how do I do this? I mean, Saul was a bad dude. He didn't stop cussing before Jesus saved him. He didn't stop murdering before Jesus saved him. He was in the midst, on the way to, to murder, and Jesus saves him. And now, now, now Paul is kind of in this in-between uh, like, that you and I face. of like, gosh, I want to follow Jesus, but I, I still have these thoughts and these uh, maybe want to and these desires to sin. Uh, Paul knew what it was like, but, but Paul knew that, that it couldn't be him that changed himself. You, you've tried it, right? You tried to do all the things, Right? You tried just to white knuckle it and walk away, right? You tried to set up all, all the boundaries and you went back, right? You said, I'll never say that again or speak like that again. But, but what happens, you end up doing it. What Paul is saying is that you and I, we can't find out the formula and the solution uh, just, just to be right before God that Jesus has to change you. I mean, imagine Saul, Paul, just like messed up on the road, blinded, and he begins to follow Jesus. Like all Paul could do is like, dude, I can't do it. Jesus, you have to have me. Paul didn't just run into a new believers class. He didn't get, become a member at the local Baptist church. Like, like Paul didn't take all these right steps to get connected with God. What did he do? He just connected himself with Jesus. I think maybe some of us in this room, maybe the only thing we need to hear this morning is, are you connected with Jesus? Maybe you're connected with a book. Maybe you're connected with a podcast. Maybe you're, you're, you're connected with, with a, a way, but are you connected with Jesus? That's what Saul did. He's like, dude, you just saved me, so I'm all in, and Jesus, you better do the work because I can't. I'm not able to. And we see throughout Scripture how, how, how Jesus began to change Paul, we know that Paul had a thorn in his flesh, that, that he had this, this thing that he couldn't just get away, this thing that nagged him. And there's so much speculation around what that thorn was. But in some perspectives, and some theologians believe it was some type of sin or old self that Paul would want to refer himself back to. It was this thing that he couldn't shake. And because Paul never could become perfect, but, but it was this thing that he would have to keep going to Jesus and making and asking Jesus to help him. In verse 18, it says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor, for though the law I died to the law, and that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you have your Bibles or if you have your phones and you like to highlight, Highlight every pronoun, I, 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 me, me, me. Like what Paul is saying is I have died. I am crucified. It is me. It is me. Like I'm giving every, every ounce of my ego, every ounce of my pride, every ounce of me dying. I need to die to every piece of that to follow Jesus. And there's this moment in Paul's life that, that, that we see throughout all of Scripture that, that we see Jesus talk about in the Gospels three different times. Uh, and we hear that Paul writes over and over and over again throughout the New Testament uh, this idea of dying. In, in Romans 6, 8, it says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That, that if we die with Christ, we will be with him. This is kind of like, wait, Ryan, you're asking me to die so I can be with him? I'll unravel that 
in a second. Glossians 2.20, it says, If with Christ you died in the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? If you've died with Jesus, why do you live by the world's standards? Colossians 3.3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, This this will transform your life right here. Students, this is a verse you need to memorize. Colossians 3.3, If you have died, you are hidden within Christ. Uh, it's, it's like Jesus, he, he hides you, he protects you. And when God looks down at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see your wrongdoing. He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your mess-ups. What he sees is his son Jesus who died for you. You, you are hidden. And God can't find you because he's looking through Jesus. This will transform your idea around Jesus. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 11, it says, If we have died with him, meaning Jesus, we will also live with him. Jesus died to live, and he wants us to do the same. If you want to uh, edit this statement, Jesus lived to die, and then he died to live. J- Jesus was in heaven, and he came to earth to die. That was his mission, to die, to, to, to pay ransom, to give atonement, to 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 allow his blood to cover all of our sins and pay the penalty of our bad behavior and our disconnection from God. But but if Jesus would have never died, then he would have never fully lived. If Jesus would have just died and stayed dead, Jesus would just be like every other God, every every other religion uh, uh, serves and worships. But Jesus lived to die, and then he died to live forever. And, And Jesus died to live, and he wants you and I to do the same. I mean, don't you actually want to live? Like, like, like don't you want, want, want to kind of somehow get out of the foxhole of life and stop managing and just throwing up a shield to deflect? Don't you actually want to walk into huge fields not worrying about all the enemies and the attacks around you? Like, like Jesus gives us this offer, and Jesus asks us to do spiritually what Jesus did physically. In Romans 3.1, we see Paul writing a letter to the Christians at Rome, and, and he tells us uh, how, how to die, how to live in this freedom. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What, what are things that are above? I mean, you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things that are above, called the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, what, how do you set your mind on things of, of, of above? Like, look at the life of Jesus as you read through the New Testament and, and see the characteristics in the life that he portrayed. Set your things on things that are above. Here, here's a, a wild Uh, maybe understanding of the verse. If you don't set your things on things that are above, where are you going to set your things? Things that are below. So either set your things on the things of Jesus, of heaven, or set your things on on the things of the devil, of hell. Like, which one do you want to choose? Do we need to raise our hands? I I think we all want to set our, our, our mind on things that are above, but it's our choice. And the reality of life, right, is we forget to set our minds on those things because we live in the day-in, day-out craziness of our life. Whether you're raising kids, whether you're applying for college, uh, whether you're single and you're trying to look for your future mate, 
uh, whether you're uh, looking at your calendar for tomorrow and trying to figure out all the meetings you have, you begin to set your things, set your mind on things of today. And to be honest, if they're not on things of above, they're things below. And so Paul urges us, begs us to set our mind on things above. I think Paul, if, if he was preaching today, he would say, put your old life to death. You were justified. You were adopted. You are hidden with Jesus. When God looks down at you, he does not see you. He sees Jesus. He sees perfection. He sees everything right and everything holy. I think the, the thing that we, we, we probably need to do more of is this churchy biblical uh, concept of renewing your mind. And we see it in Romans um, chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says this, he goes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewer, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern that the, that is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This idea of renewing your mind, I mean, your mind is all wired together. Your, your mind um, uh, leads your thoughts, leads your motivations, leads your actions. It, it's your mind that, that captures uh, different images and, and, and memories. And, and how do you and I, because I don't know anything about your lives, but I know as I look back at my life, I want to renew a lot of my mind. There's things I think about that I should not think about. There's things that I remember that I don't no longer want to remember. There's things uh, that, that, that motivate me that it should not motivate me. I want to renew my mind. And so how, how do you do it? Uh, I think the answer is to be active, not passive. Have any of you guys ever moved from one house to another house? I mean, just, just the, the process is, is pretty, pretty crazy. But um, my first year of marriage, Ashley and I lived in one house. We ended up moving to another house, and I worked at the same place. And so what I would do is I would leave my work, and I would start driving home. Have any of you guys ever begin to drive somewhere and then ask yourself, how the heck did I get here? I mean, did I stop at that stop sign? Uh, did I see the red light, green light, yellow light? I don't know, but I showed up, and I'm here. I mean, you've probably been there. Am I the only one? Um, and the, the, the way, the reason that happens is because you and I were just flooded with our thoughts of the, of the day, and you're just on autopilot getting home. And thank God we get home safely. When I left my work after we moved to our second home, what I would do sometimes, I would drive and I would end up at my last home. And I would pull up in the driveway. Have you ever done this? Have you just pulled up somewhere and you're like, that's not where I was supposed to go. But I was on autopilot. And so what I had to do when I left the office, I would have to go, okay, Ryan, take a right here. And to students, we didn't have GPS 10 years ago, okay? It's like we had to know where we were going. And so I had to leave uh, my, my, my work and go, no, turn right here. Awesome. Merge onto the interstate here. Don't get off at that exit. Go to that exit. Why? Because that's my old home. That's my old life. That's my old me. And there's many uh, areas in our life that we get tempted by. And the reason that you and I, we show up at our old home or our old place or our old sin patterns is because we're just on autopilot and we're not directing our life to a place to get us to our new life. And so, so you and I, how, how do you practically make this work? Like a, a, as you're walking through life, as you're walking down the hallways of your school, as you're walking into your office, you need to tell yourself or remind yourself what your new life is. Like, no, 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 no I, I don't want to gossip. That's my old life. I want to speak words of encouragement. No, 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 I'm not going to do whatever it takes to get the deal done. I'm going to do what's right and have great integrity. You've got to speak to yourself and remind yourself 
of the area and the place you're going. And then he ends with this. He goes, I do not nullify the grace of God, for it is righteousness where through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If we put our old lives to death, if we don't put our old lives to death, we nullify the death of Jesus. He says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Hey, look right at me. If you and I, if we continue to live in our old life, in our old self, what we do is we tell the world and Jesus that his death didn't matter. If we continue to go to those old places, those old addictions, those old sin patterns, those old behaviors, if we continue to go there, what we're saying is like, ah, Jesus, like your death on the cross, that was maybe helpful and cool, but it's, but it's not, it's not going to be life-changing. I'm going to nullify it. I'm going to cancel it. I'm going to disregard it. And I get it, man. Your old life, well, it's brutal. Your old ways are, are messed up. You and I, we still live with the consequences of our past actions. But you and I, we're called to this place of going, gosh, if we really want to live in this freedom that Paul talks about, we have to leave our old life and begin to to walk towards our new life, knowing and believing that Jesus is going to change everything around us. When I was 11 or 12 years old, I began to look at pornography. And this was a secret of mine. Nobody knew about it. When I'd go to church, I'd hear pastors preach about it, and I would just kind of disregard it and said, oh, it'll, it'll change. Well, during my first year of marriage, my wife and I had a very uncomfortable conversation. She had caught me. And in that moment, if you could imagine the hurt in the room, the level of the room, the, the wildness of the room, and I tell people this all the time, if, if if we would have had a camera in the room and it was on Ashley, no one would look at pornography ever again. The hurt, the pain. In that moment, I, I felt a bit of freedom. Because I'd never told anybody before. It was my secret. It was my shame. And, and out of that freedom, I, I, I began to, to walk closer to Jesus. It, there wasn't enough boundaries that I could place around my life that would eliminate me from going back. All those, those were helpful. There wasn't the secret accountability group that was the, the, the drug. It was this all-out cling to Jesus and going, I don't want my old life anymore. I don't want that old husband. I don't want to be that type of father. I don't want to be that type of man. I don't want to be it. And so I would have to begin to renew and rewire my mind. Job 31, 1 says, uh, Job says this, that, that he made a covenant with his eyes to never look lustfully at another woman. And so this moment of this conscious renewing of my mind, everywhere I walked, every grocery store, every time I was driving, any thought, any temptation that would come into my mind, I would, I would, I would say, hey, Jesus, I've made a covenant with my mind and my eyes. Satan, flee. Satan, flee. Satan, flee. And I didn't realize how much I was thinking and how much I was sinning until I began to renew my mind. And men, women, as I begin to acknowledge my sin, as I begin to acknowledge my mind, uh, I would take baby steps. Jesus would carry me further and further away from that sin. And the times that I would have to say those sayings would get, get less and less and less. 
And me personally, I, I began to receive more freedom than I'd ever received in my life. My marriage, I actually bestowed more grace and gave me more freedom than I could ever imagine. If you and I, if we as a church, if we really desire to live free, which I know we do, that, that you and I, one, need to believe that nothing we can do will earn more of God's favor and love for us. But you and I, we have the tools, we have the scripture, we have the Bible uh, to, to help renew our minds into such a way that we can take a deep breath, take the shame off our backs, and live into a freedom that maybe you, maybe I, maybe us, we've never experienced before. Paul, Paul lived it. There's pieces of my life that, that I, can, I can live in it. And if that's something you struggle with and need help working through, we actually have a group on our page uh, for men who are, who are walking down that temptation. You can join us in that group, maybe even this week. But let me pray for us. Jesus, I'm so thankful for your love. I'm so thankful that you're my father. I'm so thankful that you've never left me. I'm so thankful that I don't have to work for your love. I'm so thankful that you lived to die and died to live. And I'm so thankful that you can help renew my mind. And I'm so thankful, Jesus, that I don't have to work to be free. But Jesus, you can carry me to freedom. And I pray, Jesus, everyone in this room, everyone online, will submit themselves to you and allow you to carry them to freedom. Whether it's unconfessed sin, whether it's conversation that needs to happen on the way home, I pray, Jesus, we take next steps today. And I pray for those who, who always thought they had to get clean, get better, get right before they gave their lives to Jesus. I pray that they understand that they can follow you today. And if there's anyone in this room who wants to follow Jesus for the first time, I would ask you to pray something like this. Hey, hey, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want you to change me. And I want you to give me that freedom. And if that was you this morning for the first time, what we do around here just to signify and express the moment, we ask you to raise your hand. So I'm going to count the three. And if that was you, I want you to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. Jesus, I beg for your freedom. Jesus, give all of us restoration. Jesus, save us from sin, our habits, our behavior. Restore relationships in this room and our relationships to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen.